Hello world, welcome back to the PG.biz podcast. I am your host, Brian Bagwell, and joining me is the delightful Peggy Ann Salt. Hello, Peggy. It's lovely to see you again. Thank you, Brian. You're always so cheerful and you're finding a new adjective every show. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've got to keep it fresh. It's, this is, I've been reading a book on podcasting and it says you've got to keep the audience on the edge of their seats. So I'm doing my very best to explore every aspect of the thesaurus. Well, you've also got, to that note, a great guest as well. Again, you can certainly pick them, Brian. This one, I would have to say, I am so tempted. I have to do the pun. May I? It is pure gold. <laughs> it is. It is pure gold. Um, yes, it was a, a really interesting one. Um, we've kind of gone all over the, the, the games industry in, in the last little while. We've spoken to people from a huge range of different backgrounds. We've had live ops, we've had data, we've had analytics, we've had marketing, all sorts. And we kind of went back to grassroots and we spoke to an honest to goodness game developer, um, which is always a joy uh, if you are interested in the whole process of designing, developing, producing games. And uh, so for this uh, edition of the podcast, we welcomed uh, Thomas Johansson from Goldtown Games. If you've not come across Goldtown, they are a specialist. And I always really like finding a studio who have found their niche and are quite comfortable working away in there. And Goldtown Games do sports management games. So not just sports games, but sports management. They've been getting a lot of good traction and really kind of making some interesting things happen within that kind of specialised niche. You know, and I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world. I don't think I've played a sports management game. But that really didn't stop us kind of getting to grips with the whole notion of how do you specialise? How do you find that niche? And, and then how do you go about making your players very happy and finding the sports that they're going to respond to? Because it's not just about football, you know. Um, so they're, they're doing some very, very interesting things. So, yeah, it was, it was a great conversation to have and um, one that very nearly tempted me to go out and, and try some of the sports management uh, titles that they're working on. Well, you also point out the importance of the user experience. I didn't think about that in such a niche game. I was thinking, well, this is a spreadsheet brought to mobile, essentially. What was very interesting is the emphasis on experience. And what I didn't think was a fit, as much as Thomas described it, Live Ops, Live Ops bringing, I think, between tw over 20 up to 70% lift on his games. That was that was a great takeaway and a great lesson for our listeners as well. Well, this is it. You know, if you if you look at live sports, you know, the the reason that they're so incredibly popular is that they they take place regularly, whether it's, you know, your your weekly football game or any of the big tournaments in whatever sport you care to name. So anyone who's who's a fan of any of those those type of uh, sports really responds to the opportunity to take part in a tournament or a competition or you know something that it's that's branded or, or kind of occurs regularly so it's a very smart move and again if you are focusing on that kind of niche you know you you don't have the uh, the sheer audience numbers that, that you do in something like hyper casual where you can just spend on user acquisition and there are always new people there to willing to try it um if you have this niche audience you've got to keep them you know so retention is the name of the game keeping them happy and making sure that that user experience is focused on 
them and make it as polished and as slick and as kind of catering to their needs as you can. So, um, yeah, it, there's something in there, whether you're a sports fan, a sports management fan or not. If you have any interest in game design and game development, there's a, a couple of really good lessons to come out of this interview. And yes, it was pre-recorded, but the lessons relevant today, perhaps even more so than when you recorded the interview with them, Brian. So let's listen in. Let's do it. Hi, folks. Welcome back. And this week, we are lucky enough to be joined by uh, Thomas Jonasson, the head of publishing for Gold Town Games. Thomas, welcome on board. Why, thank you. Nice to be here. And it's good to have you here. So, so Thomas, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you how did you get into the game sector? How did you get into Gold Town Games itself? I'm pretty new to the game sector. Been in it for uh, four years. I started working for a startup project in Sweden, a new studio uh, within mobile gaming that got acquired by by Gold Town Games, really pre market before before we ever launched a game. Then uh, after the acquisition, we uh, came to the conclusion that the best sort of trajectory for me would be to try and set up a publishing house for internal and external publishing uh, within Goldtown Games. And what, what is your background? What, what, uh, what did you study and what, are you, sort of, what were sort of roles did you have before jumping into the games world? So I'm 31 years old now. I, um, I, I studied uh, originally marketing and economics. While studying at the university, um, being really a, a very curious type of person, uh, I also started learning lots of uh, de- web development, SEO stuff like that, which was at the time very, very much in the moon. And of course, I, I to to make some money while studying, I started consulting in web development, SEO, user acquisition, uh, which quite fast led to me starting to work towards e-commerce companies as a consultant uh, because that was all the glitz and glamour then. And, and really from that, working towards, towards e-commerce for a couple of years, it's been a lot of journeys since as an entrepreneur, really. I bet you. But, but were you a gamer? Did you have any aspirations to join, to join games or was it just... I've did you always just been into it? a very avid gamer. I uh, always thought it would be interesting to get into that kind of, into that kind of business and, and learn, learn the ins and outs. So once I got the opportunity to do so, yeah, I really went all in on it. That's interesting because so many of the people that we, we speak to, especially on the development side, it was their lifelong passion. It was their dream. You know, they've, they've worked at it. and it's. But some of the most interesting conversations we've had are with people who kind of went, yeah, didn't expect this. How have you found it? How, how, how is the reality of working in the game sector? Most of the people, like you say, they come from a background where they always been into games yeah it, i find it really rare and i really feel like an outsider a lot of the times at especially at conferences where i don't typically fit the mold of what a games development person is or a publisher you know I'm, I'm i've really really enjoyed the fact that this whole sector is opening up to new roles and those roles are pulling in people from very very different backgrounds you know the games industry talking to the games industry about the games industry getting that variety, getting those different conversations, I think is is a real strength. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, when I started talking to Goldtown Games about the role, really came to understand that maybe one of the one of the biggest pros of not coming from the specific sector and coming from e-commerce instead, we really, we have a focus on 
let's say like e-commerce KPIs. So an e-commerce website and the store of a mobile game, they share a lot of uh, common denominators, a lot of the same psychology, uh, the same consumer psychology, the psychology around the user experience and the UI and how you test offers, for example, and modify flows. Uh, it's, it's pretty much uh, the same kind of thinking where the e-commerce business has had worked with those problems for a lot longer. We as e-commerce people, the few of us that are in mobile gaming, we, we bring a lot of those angles into it. A lot of payment co- conversion type of KPI focus. While we've had to pioneer and learn a lot of new things, because you know the one constant in the mobile market, the mobile games market, is change. Um, pulling in that expertise and pulling in that help from from other areas, I think, again, it just it strengthens what we do. There, there's a tendency in some areas to just think, but if we just make the game and we make it good enough, people will come. Not in mobile gaming because of the saturation in the marketplace. There are exceptions, some really well-made game games that have gotten some sort of popular culture traction or similar, or just just really good organic numbers. But in general, if you even if you do a good game, you're a you're a big developer. Uh, most of the games are gonna land middle of the road somewhere, and they they're gonna need that optimization to all parts of it to to really become all they can be. I'm I'm going to take a couple of steps back because I think we've we've kind of dived into quite a nice big chunky uh, topic. Yeah. So Goldtown Games, tell us a little bit more about the company, who they are, what they do, where they are. Goldtown Games is a uh, mobile games development studio, self-publishing, and it's based in uh, the really far north of Sweden uh, in a town called Skellefteå, which uh, uh, it's actually the basis of the name. Kolefteå is called the Gold Town historically in in Sweden, so that's where the name comes from. Uh, Gold Town Games is a public company. Uh, it's been on the Nordic small and medium enterprise market uh, in Sweden since 2016. We're at the moment we run four live uh, free-to-play titles, and they're all sports manager games. That's the the common denominator. Uh, but they're, they're all in very different stages of their life cycles from soft launch to to really seven years in, into the market. We're also, I mean, we're working on releasing new titles. We've got a really cool baseball game coming up later this year. And we've got a bunch of ideas in development. So sports management is, is, is quite a, a cool niche because, you know, there are some big boys out there, the football managers and the like, that I think everyone's aware of. But it's it's one of these... Areas that uh, from the outside can be, I guess, quite poorly understood. But you know, there are a lot of people who look at it and just go, "But it's a spreadsheet, isn't it?" Um. So, what what really was it, what was the attraction of sports management in the in the first instance? Ice hockey is a very big sport, a very big part of culture in, especially in northern Sweden. Yeah, and so was ice wow. hockey the first the first title? Yeah, that was the first title. That's still live to to this day, uh, and and uh, the biggest part of of our work is still a hockey game. It's become a very popular title throughout the years. It's one out of two or three uh, games that really are are that market. There's a lot of people who um, grew up like me with, with ice hockey. Everyone used to play back in early 2000s, late 90s. People used to play a lot of these games on PC. So really, the, back when the company was started, one of the main ideas was just to take that whole a spreadsheet system to take it into a mobile format because 
made sense. Oh, fantastic! And and so is the company mobile mobile exclusive or or mobile first? Or I primarily work in mobile. We recently recently delved into NFTs and into Web three games. Uh, we're doing actually a project, a joint venture where we do sort of work for hire for a uh, Web three publisher. So that's a, a cricket game that we're developing, a manager game. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the the Web three and NFT thing in, yeah. in just a minute, but you've you've described yourselves or you've described Goldtown Games as, as self publishing, and I'm I'm interested in finding out more. Why self publish? Was that a conscious decision? When the hockey game was released, it it initially and ever since has had very good traction. So there wasn't a need for, oh, we need a publisher, an external publisher, to help us get this thing on the road because a, lot of, a big part of the founding team uh, came from marketing initially. So that wasn't really a big issue. And also the market wasn't saturated. It was, I, I mean, even just back then, uh, when we can go back to, to the topic of organic growth, that organic growth was a lot easier uh, just five, 10 years ago. Uh, so the, the game has always had a steady stream of revenue. From that, I mean, the company is now we're 35, almost 40 people, uh, and we've been able to grow based on uh, the traction, initial traction, really, from the hockey game. That that's amazing, and, and congratulations, because that's no easy feat. I am well aware of that. But but what's the, sort of the breakdown of the company in terms of of the the, the staff? How many have you got focusing yeah, on development, and how many do you have sort of in the publishing, support, live ops, etc.? Yeah, that's that's uh, a good question. We have something like seven people right now in publishing, so we're a very small team. Uh, we don't have a bunch of data analysts and. All that you have to work really entrepreneurial like, which fits me at least. Uh, so we have a very broad uh, responsibility area from live ops to uh, publishing, doing the software processes, researching new games, uh, really full service. And on, on only seven people plus consultants, of course, uh, but the core of it is seven people. So then me and two to three other people could be considered sort of the management, but we're really a flat organization and then all the other people are developers and everyone works in the in the office in Colectio. I wanted to ask you about the publishing process because obviously if you've got a game that, that's seven years in the market with a hockey game <laughs> yeah. and, and you've got others coming through like, like cricket and so on, how do you sort of gauge what's coming next? You've mentioned baseball, you've mentioned cricket. Is yeah. it just sort of going with the popularity of the sport or is it kind of What's, what's your process? I mean, it's almost that easy. As, as we're limited to sports games, we're limited to, sim, to sports simulator games, and that's our specific niche. Uh, we leverage sort of general data trends in the world around sports, but we also use tools like, for example, App Magic, where we look at overarching specific mobile gaming trends in the markets where we know that we're strong, tier one markets in Europe and the US and so on. It's really a, a matrix of different data points that leads down to a decision. And also, there are also deviances to this because there could be other opportunities. We had an opportunity one and a half years ago to start working with the International Field Hockey Association, mm-hmm. which is not a sport, I would say, that has that kind of size in tier one markets. It doesn't provide all of the 
specific. It doesn't check all the boxes. But it's an opportunity in co-marketing, in PR. In We really like each other and they, they have a really good thing going. It's an Olympic sport and they're really trying to become better in these kinds of collaborations. What we did when we produced a game that's live now uh, called FA Hockey Manager is we tried to make a, a FIFA for field hockey. We're the official title for that sport, sort of. So, so that's interesting because that, that actually brings me really neatly onto my next point, which is in sports games, it seems to be the license is the king, you know, and obviously we've had a whole lot of discussion yeah. around FIFA and the future of FIFA as a, as a licensed game. But have you guys gone out and spoken to, to many of the sort of the either international or national um, bodies around some of the, the titles that you're publishing? We have, we have in part, but usually they don't hold the really interesting IPs. The players, it's a whole mix of things where you have to, to be able to have a, like a FIFA game, you would have to have contacts within the players association of a specific league, the specific league office, you have to have other permits and it's a really big and costly procedure where... Hugely. Yeah, where a small company like us, we, uh, we, we can't do that really. Uh, it's too, too big of an investment. And also, the sports manager business is sort of small, so we know a lot of the other actors. IPs aren't that effective. IPs are only that effective. If you have good core mechanics, good loops, functioning, balancing, I mean, there's so many other parts to it that really has to be there. And the consumer around these kinds of games, surprisingly, they're not that focused. Not like in in console and in FIFA, as an example. It's very important. If FIFA were to take out all of the official licenses, that would be strange. But in the sports world, in the sports manager world on mobile, it's not the same thing. No, I, I, I take your point. I take your point entirely. I'm, I'm going to come back to, to a point you made earlier, which was um, NFT and um, the fact that you're looking at uh, introducing this as a new technology within within a forthcoming game. And, and what made you decide to, to sort of explore the whole NFT market? Because it's fair to say it's been a little controversial. <laughs> it's been a little controversial, I would... I would definitely agree. I wouldn't see myself as the main driver behind that. And uh, I, I, I'm an opportunist, though. So, so for me, what it is, it's a potential avenue of where the, the free-to-play gaming market could be heading. It's a new market. And somewhere that thing is going to land, but we don't know where. But we can at least be on top of it and have the know-how and the knowledge. And that's at least how I see it. Are you seeing a lot of changes? Are you seeing the sort of the demands from the audience evolving over time? The demands from the audience is pretty, I would say that they're the same, but with the change now that a lot of people are also used to qualitative live ops operations. Like a lot of the, our competitors and us are becoming better at running live events, uh, different sub-brands within games, doing all the kinds of things, uh, which where traditional uh, manager games didn't have any of that. About a year ago now, we took a really big step, really towards working with live ops from a marketing perspective, or and it, it has had a big effect. We've seen between 20 and 70% uh, lift across the board. Wow on revenue because of because of that and and i i totally understand it i play fifa ultimate team and uh really what we based our philosophy of live ops around is their whole system and uh i am a firm believer in and, and it seems to work well i think that's it you know the, the results certainly seem to speak for themselves because that's that's a considerable jump um for for any small company and i think you 
people do respond to it. You know, you need to keep them engaged. You need to keep their interest up. Give them a reason to come back. For me, what I put the most time into when we plan live ops events is uh, the time before the event starts. Started uh, experimenting with loading screens, which is a really interesting point in the in the in the user experience. Uh, for example, where we started teasing, okay, so there's an event coming soon, and then a few days before they went, we update the loading screen again, and it's to me it's really basic against consumer psychology where. Uh, to make a purchase decision down the road, I have to be informed that there is something coming. I get more precise information. Then I'm, the, the whole purchase decision takes far longer than just the specific time you see uh, an item in a store. So you have to start building up a hype or whatever you would call it, uh, an expectation beforehand. It's a very important thing. And I think that that has served as well as to, to experiment with. You know, there are so many options now. And I think the fact that you can design and build all of this thing, all of this kind of engagement into your game, gives developers an awful lot more power to to you know meet the player, and as you say, you know, kind of drive those expectations, meet those expectations, it helps set expectations. Indeed, it means that there's far far more to do than just the core mechanics, the core loops, and and the sort of the levels. Exactly. Uh, I heard in one of your earlier episodes. Uh, you guys discussed uh, back in the days, you used to release a game, that's it. We designed the game, we produced it, now it's out. And now we're continuously, from the marketing side, from the product side, everyone is continuously uh, developing on the game design. And uh, just trying to meet consumer expectations. Uh, and it's uh, like with a hockey game, it's a seven-year journey. And, and and I think that that's what makes it so exciting. You know, I, yeah. I worked on a game, I won't name names, but it was a, a console game on cartridge. And the day after it came out, we found out there was a there was a bug, which meant that you couldn't actually complete it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, the, the idea of being able to go back and change, update, support, evolve, you know, keeping somebody with you for that entire seven years is an amazing thing. You know, and you, can, you can build such a strong community. I could keep going all afternoon because this is completely fascinating, but I'm going to ask a, a few questions that I had prepared in advance. So the first one is, what uh, what sports are out there that you have never had a management um, game where you think, oh, that could be really interesting? You know, is, is the world ready for a synchronised swimming um, management <laughs> game? There's lots of sports coming up that has been cultural phenomenons uh, that, come, that has seen major growth in just five to ten years. For example, paddle tennis, you know that sport? Oh, yes, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Where there are some gaming alter- alternatives, not within the manager niche, I wouldn't say. Interesting, like there's another company uh, locally where we are situated that has the, the new number one game in disc golf, disc golf valley. I mean, that's become the whole, the game of that sport. Everyone who plays disc golf plays that game. It's just, uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing journey for those guys. And also, it could help that it's a co-venture between the studio and, uh, and the, the biggest producer of the, the actual discs. A really, really smart thing that they do is they put out uh, conceptual discs that aren't mm-hmm. sold on the market as, as digital items in the game with the actual nice. physics that they're supposed to have in the real world. Disc golfers, they can try mm-hmm. out new, new discs. Well, there's an NFT just screaming to be minted. 
I was gonna say that. <laughs> no, no, but it's uh, it's yeah, really fun for them. Uh, there, there's there's lots of things you can do. Listen, Thomas, we're we're very very nearly out of time. We're close to the end. Um, so a couple of questions that we ask everyone is one: What are you playing right now? Ultimate team. Yeah, straight off the bat. Yeah, perfect. And second question is: What's your favorite game ever? That's that's a very tough question. I would say the original Red Dead Redemption game. Good call. That's that's what really. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really do appreciate it. It'd be lovely to get you on a future episode and hear more about um, Gold Town Games, how your career's coming along, and more about the town of uh, Wellifteo. Exactly. You guys get a good thing going, so I'm going to continue to listen to you. Perfect. It's like well, you and the other listener will be will be very well looked after. I promise. Yeah. Um, it's it's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again at some point very soon. Same to you. This show is all about how to do your job better, how to make an amazing game, how to market it, and you have a say. So if you have a story or know someone we need to shine a light on, then we would love to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We want to reflect the reality of the mobile games market in all its wonderful complexity and strangeness. So if you have any suggestions for us, if you have any feedback for us, you can always get in touch. You can email us at podcast at pocketgamer.biz. You can find us on Twitter at pgbiz. And you can reach out to us through the pocketgamer.biz website. If you're interested in listening to all of our podcasts, you can find them at pocketgamer.biz forward slash podcast. And we would love to hear your thoughts on future shows. And we've got you covered on all the major platforms. So subscribe to the audio podcast, as Brian said. Look for us on YouTube. If you want to read it, hey, you can do that too, because we have a companion post for you as well on the pocketgamer.biz website. Tune in again for the next edition of the pocketgamer.biz podcast and we look forward to speaking to you in the near future. Until then, I'm Brian Baglow. I'm Peggy Ann Saltz and that's a wrap until next week. <laughs> <laughs>